Chapter One of Campfire Girls in the Country, or The Secret Aunt Hannah Forgot. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Leanne Howlett. Campfire Girls in the Country, or The Secret Aunt Hannah Forgot by Stella M. Francis. Chapter One, A Country Town, Fourth of July. It was the Fourth of July throughout the Western Hemisphere, and in all other portions of the earth where the midnight second of the third had ticked and passed. It was emphatically the fourth in the United States, including the eastern town of Fairbury, a municipality of some thirty-five hundred inhabitants. On this day there were considerably more than thirty-five hundred men, women, and children in the place, and a cosmopolitan gathering of country and town folk it was. Artisans, merchants, professional men, farmers, laborers, and their wives and children or sweethearts. It was a gala day for dress, millinery, chatter, peanuts, popcorn, lemonade, ice cream soda, toy balloons, bazoos, and squawkers everything but firecrackers, which had recently been legislated a national nuisance. The gathering place for this great concourse of every kind and description of humanity inhabiting the town and the country round about was the public square. And a typical public square it was. In the first place it was truly square, for it had been thus sighted and staked by the original surveyor. And along the lines thus staked, Representative businessmen and capitalists had constructed some two thousand feet front of store buildings, which were occupied by the most cheerful aggregation of citizens in the town. In explanation of this characterization of these citizens, we must cynically observe that all of them had something to sell. This square boasted of one skyscraper, three stories high. Most of the other mercantile buildings were two stories high. This skyscraper was the pride of the town, a really well-planned and well-constructed building, with pressed bricks south, front, and east side, located on the northeast corner of the square. The First National Bank occupied the first floor of this building. In the center of the square was the county courthouse, sections of which were occupied by officials of the municipality in lieu of a city hall. This building a massive, turreted, pressed brick and stone structure in the center of a neatly terraced lawn, enclosed by a chain fence, had the distinction of possessing a town clock tower that arose to a loftier height than the skyscraper, and rivaled the Methodist church steeple three blocks away as to loftiness above the sea level. The church, by the way, stood on a considerably lower site, or this rivalry would not have been possible. Well, the patriotic crowd moved here and there around the periphery of the square and back again, or around and around and around, while the peanut and lemonade vendors called out their wares, and a phonograph over the entrance of a motion picture theater sung ragtime music to attract the attention of the amusement seekers. The more quietly disposed of the congregated populace, however, sought the restful convenience of the courthouse lawn or the refreshing protection of a dozen shade trees standing along the line of the chain fence. Others, especially the younger element, not quite so staid of demeanor, 
moved hither and thither, sometimes with the stream of gay-spirited and gaily-attired humanity around the square, sometimes upon the lawn, where they would gather in social groups around the bandstand, and sometimes upon the battlement-like balustrades and porticoes of the elaborate exterior of the courthouse. Among this younger element were thirteen girls in khaki middy suits and light brown sailor straw hats, whom the whole town knew by this time as the full membership of the Flamingo Campfire. These girls, for more than a week, had been visiting at the home of Mrs. Hannah Hutchins, an odd character past the prime of life, but withal a kindly disposed and interesting widow, who owned a considerable estate a quarter of a mile east of the city limits. To readers of this campfire series, the faces of these girls are at once familiar. They are the wood-gatherers, fire-makers, and torch-bearers, whose experiences during the last preceding Christmas holidays constituted the motive of interest in another volume entitled Campfire Girls in the Allegheny Mountains, or A Christmas Success Against Odds. Those experiences were of a character so remarkable, so thrilling, as to render this campfire an organization of no slight distinction, not only among wearers of the emblems and badges of the craft and chanters of Wahalo cheer, but even with the public at large, for nationwide publicity had been given to their adventures in a coal-mining district where their mission of charity had met with extreme opposition from certain unprincipled men. Indeed, it is not too much to say that these adventures had been the chief subject of discussion among the members of the fire, except perhaps the immediate affairs of their daily life, during the entire second semester of the school year. Then came another and longer vacation, ten weeks in the summer. What should they do during this period? Was the question that held their attention more and more as the year's schoolwork at Hiawatha Institute drew nearer and nearer to a close. For two weeks after it was first broached, the problem remained unsolved. Then Hazel Edwards created a buzz of interest by laying before her associate flamingoites a proposition just received by her, from a relative living alone with three or four servants and farming assistants on the wide and picturesque country seat she had inherited from her late husband. This relative was her Aunt Hannah Hutchins, who had taken a fancy to Hazel when the latter was a little tot in rompers, and her interest in her niece had not lessened with fourteen or fifteen years of age. "'She wants us all to come and stay as long as we care to,' Hazel announced. "'Aunt Hannah has been kind of lonesome, you see, since her husband died, and she's always begging her favorite relatives and friends to come and visit her. She likes young folks especially.' We'd have dandy places to camp, and I bet Aunt Hannah would be just tickled to death to come out and camp with us. She's just that kind. A little odd at her age, but you wouldn't notice that after you got acquainted. The proposition was taken up seriously. Then followed a period of correspondence between the girls and their parents. The latter were more cautious than usual in their inquiry into the vacation plans of their daughters. And, well, they might be for had not these thirteen girls in their last midwinter holidays excursion been snatched at the eleventh hour right out of the jaws of tragedy by a band of hurriedly organized rescuers but at last the consent of the fathers and mothers of flamingo fire was obtained after it had been shown that fairbury was a quiet little city 
populated chiefly by retired country folk, and that Aunt Hannah's farm contained no such menaces to human life and comfort as precipices, open mine shafts, poison ivy, savage dogs, kicking horses, and distempered cattle. After a week at their several homes following the closing of school, these thirteen campfire girls reconvened by invitation of Hazel Edwards on an agreed date at the semi-wilderness country seat of odd and interesting Aunt Hannah. And so we find them all on this Fourth of July afternoon in two or three groups on the lawn and on the massive stone portico of the west entrance of the courthouse, chatting among themselves or with other girl acquaintances they had met since their arrival, while the kinetic picture of human life moved round and round and across and betwixt and between, and the vendors called their wares and the band played, and the Japanese tumblers tumbled, and the skyscraper scraped with staid dignity, undisturbed by the inharmonious mixture of soulful music, reckless gaieties, spendthrift patriotism, a wealth of national colors, and a general confusion of nondescript noises. End of chapter 1